everyone. Merry Christmas and welcome to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location in Belmont, Massachusetts. If we don't know each other, my name is Brian. I'm the pastor of the Belmont location and it's good to talk to you today. Many people believe that all world religions are the same, that pretty much any religious philosophy is pointing to the exact same thing. The question we ask today is, is that really true? And to answer it, we look at a book written by a man named Micah. And in that book, he reminds us of something about the God of the Bible that radically separates him from any other God or belief system. This is an important question to answer. And so I hope you listen closely, and I hope you enjoy this, because I believe that God has something he would like to say to you. The internet loves a lot of things. Right? The internet loves a lot of things. One of the things the internet loves are something called dad jokes. And I don't know if you've come across dad jokes online, but it's something that, uh, that gets shared and tweeted out and, and posted. A dad joke is something, and maybe if you haven't watched this online, you can kind of get what we're talking about here. A dad joke is something that a dad would say to their kids and think it's hilarious, but would cause their kids just to roll their eyes. So a dad uh, might see framers framing a house and say to his kids, hey, how, how do you think those carpenters are doing? I think they're nailing it. And the dad would die laughing and the kids would just roll their eyes. That's a dad joke. I grew up with a dad who uh, loved the dad jokes. He was uh, real into the dad jokes. He loved to say things that he thought were hilarious and made us as his kids roll their eyes. And now I do the exact same thing uh, to my kids, of course. One of the things my dad used to do uh, that would make him laugh and make us just roll our eyes is he would ask us questions that were really just nonsensical. It, and he would give us answers that didn't even, that even more didn't make sense. And he thought this was hilarious and we would just roll our eyes. And so this is true. He might ask us, we'd be driving somewhere and he might say something along the lines of, hey, kids, if half a hen laid half an egg in half a day, how many pancakes does it take to shingle a doghouse? Some of you might, that's a real question uh, that he would ask. Or he might say something like this. He would say, hey, what's the difference between a duck? And we would look at him and I'd say, dad, I don't, I don't know. What's the difference between a duck? And he would say, one leg is both shorter. And that was his answer. And he thought that was hilarious. And we, of course, would just wonder why we had the dad we had. You know how you think when you're a kid. I have a question for you this morning as we start that when I first ask it and give you the answer, it's probably going to sound a lot like the question, what's the difference between a duck? And the question I have for you this morning is, Micah? And the answer is, no one. Now, I get that when I ask you that question and I say to you, Micah, as a question, it doesn't sound much like a question at all. But the answer is no one. We're going to talk a little bit about what that means this morning. I hope by the time we're done, you understand the question and we understand the answer. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we've been in the middle of a sermon series that we've called Overwhelmed, Major Lessons from the Minor Prophets. And we've been walking through these books of the Bible these books of the Bible uh, that are shorter books. They're called the Minor Prophets because of their length, not their importance. 
And they're kind of packed together towards the end of what's called the Old Testament, the, the books that end the time before Jesus comes. So when you get to the end of the Old Testament there, there's actually a 400-year gap between the close of the Old Testament and the birth of Jesus Christ. And the minor prophets, are, are their books are kind of gathered there at the end of the Old Testament, and they're speaking towards the end of this time period by and large. And so Micah's uh, no different. He talks to the people at the same time the other minor prophets are speaking. And we've been walking through each one of these books, and we're closing this morning with Micah for a reason. This is the last week uh, that we'll be in this sermon series, Major Lessons uh, from the Minor Prophets. Next week, we'll move on. We'll celebrate Christmas. And we've saved Micah for the end for a reason. Micah, if you take a look, and let me just remind you exactly where we are in the whole order of things. If you take a look at where Micah would be in the order of Israelites' history, I know, I know sometimes this is hard to follow, but I think it's important we know exactly when the prophet is speaking because it helps us apply it to our situation as well. Micah, uh, he begins speaking in about 720 BC or so, and let me remind you what's happening God's people, the Israelites, became a nation. They came out of Egypt. Do you remember that nine-hour movie that's on every Easter uh, with Charlton Heston there? The, the Israelites came out of Egypt. God established them as their own nation. And in 931 BC, after they had had a king named Saul and a king named David, you remember David, David and Goliath, and Solomon, the kingdom split and became a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, eventually, both kingdoms went into exile, the northern kingdom, as you can see, earlier than the southern kingdom. Micah is a little bit unique in that there's evidence in Micah that he is speaking to both kingdoms. Many of the minor prophets that we've looked at over the last few weeks you've been with us are speaking maybe to the north or maybe to the south, there's evidence in the book of Micah that he's actually speaking to both kingdoms, and his ministry spans a larger period of time. He talks about a number of kings that he prophesies while they're reigning. And so if you took the long ends of those reigns from the kings, it's a potential that Micah is prophesying from about 750 B.C. down to 686 B.C. As you can see, he's talking to the northern kingdom as they're taken into exile by a group called the Assyrians. And he's talking to the southern kingdom, Judah, a number of years before they're going to go into exile by the Babylonians. That's where we are in the midst of this thing. And Micah comes and talks to the people. And when he does, there's something that's happening among the people that bothers God. It bothers Micah. And when we learn about it, my guess is it bothers us too. Because the thing that's happening among the people when Micah's speaking, it's something that things that continue to happen in our world today. And when they happen in our world today, they bother us. And so this thing is happening among the people. It bothers God. It bothers Micah. And as we talk about it this morning, my guess is it's going to bother you as well. And here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. God lets the people know through the prophet Micah how it is he wants them to live. In fact, he very specifically tells them what it is he requires of his people. And my guess is, even if you're here this morning and you're saying to me right now, you know, I just came for the kids, I'm not really a church person. Even if that's your place this morning, my guess is the things that Micah says God requires of us are things that, by and large, most of us would agree to. We would say these are good things. 
These are good things, a good way for us to live. This is what Micah says God requires of his people. And this sets up the whole problem that's happening among the people. And it's in Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? So God has made it clear what is good and what the Lord requires of you. But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. But to do justice, but to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God requires of his people. And my guess is, even if you would say to me this morning, you know, I'm not quite sure I'm one of God's people. My guess is the basic framework of living our lives so that we are doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly is something that we can all agree on. We think, I would say by and large, even in our culture today, a couple thousand years later, almost 3,000 years later, we would say, okay, this is a good way to live. If you could be the kind of person that would live your life doing, things, doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly, that would be a good way to live. And when we see people that do the opposite of this, it bothers us. When we see people uh, that do not do justice, that do not love kindness, that do not walk humbly, there is something about that that really bothers us because we think, by and large, this is a good way to live. And Christian or not, if we see people violating justice, not loving kindness, and not walking humbly, there's something about that that bothers us. And that's exactly what's happening to God's people when Micah starts to speak to them. God starts to speak to his people through Micah. And just like it bothers you and it bothers me when we see injustice, when we miss out on kindness, and when people are prideful, just like that bothers you and bothers me, it bothers God and it bothered the prophet. And so if you were to read through the book of Micah, you would see him start to speak into this. And he, would, he calls out the people for what they're doing. And it's amazing how much the world has changed. The things that bother Micah are the same things that bother us today. There's just maybe more technology involved. Micah looks at the people and he, and he says, God has him say to the people, listen, there are poor people among you and you are violating justice because you are mistreating the poor among you. That's the first thing that God said to the people. You're mistreating the poor people among you, and it's violating justice. It bothered God, it bothered the prophet, and that certainly bothers us today, doesn't it? He said, listen, you're greedy. You're doing things that are just out of plain greed, and you're taking poor people's land, and you're selling it, and you're keeping the money, you're redistributing wealth, and you're just being greedy in the way that you're doing it. And it bothered God, it bothered the prophet, it bothers us today. And he said, some of you I've placed in church offices. I've placed you in ecclesiastical offices. You're in important roles uh, for, for religion in the church. And, and you are violating those. You're abusing the power I've given you in those positions. And it bothered God when he saw this happening among the people, that people that were put in important positions, the priests and the people that were supposed to be God's voice to the people, that they were violating those positions. And rather than use them to show justice and kindness and walk humbly, they were using them as positions of power to gain control over people. That bothered God. It bothered the prophet. That bothers us today. And the final thing that God says is going on is he's saying, you are abandoning morality to profit and make money. You are in your business practices and the way that you treat each other. You are abandoning morals just so you make money. And how much of a conversation is that today? 
people abandoning morals to try to make money. When we see it, it bothers us. It bothered God, it bothered the prophet, and it bothers us. Because here's the reality. The call is to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly. That's the call. But none of us can ever do it. We can't do it corporately very well. And man, we struggle doing it individually too. And so when we see injustice happen in our world, when we see kindness being violated, when we see people being prideful, we're bothered by that injustice. We're bothered by that situation. The reality is, even though God sets that standard, we can't keep it up corporately and we can't keep it up individually. Let's be honest. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands. And sometimes out in public, we like to pretend like we can keep these things up. But let's be honest. Somewhere in our life, all of us have been a part of doing something that was unjust or unjust to somebody else. We haven't always loved kindness and embraced it. None of us have ever walked our entire life humbly. In fact, some of us are going to get in our car, we're going to drive, someone's going to beep, beep the horn, and we're going to violate all three on the way home today. That's how hard they are for us to keep. And this is the problem. This is the problem. We are bothered by injustice. It bothers us. It bothers us corporately, and, and it bothers us when we can't do it individually. And we believe, we believe that when justice is violated, we believe a price needs to be paid. By and large, we believe that when injustice is violated and somebody does something to somebody else that violates them or is unjust or is not kind or is prideful, that some sort of price needs to be paid, right? This is how our, our legal system works, that there are rules and there are things that people are supposed to do, standards that we are supposed to live by. There are places where there's gaps between those standards. And so we say, all right, a price needs to be paid. And the price that needs to be paid needs to be equivalent to what uh, the violation is. But when somebody does something that's, that's not just, and when someone is prideful, and when someone is unkind, some sort of punishment needs to be paid. There needs to be something that happens. It happens in our corporations, in the way that we, we deal with in, injustice and things within the workplace. It happens in the legal system. And it's happening right now in our culture. We're asking this question in our culture. As we've watched the headlines over the last two months and we've seen all the things that have come out where somebody in a position of power has done something unjust to somebody else and wielded that power over them, whether that person is a politician or a movie director or an actor or someone in those positions has done that, we're asking this question corporately as a culture, aren't we? There's a standard that we call people to live by that we think is just and right, there has been a violation of that standard in some way. And so what is the amends that needs to be made? What punishment needs to happen in order for that violation to be rectified? Because see, this is the way we think. We think that justice should reign supreme. We think that people should be kind. We think that people should walk humbly. And when that's violated, we think a price should be paid. In fact, a, a word that kind of sums that up would be, we think people need to make reparations. We think people need to do something to amend the wrong that they have done. We think that corporately all the time. 
Our culture thinks this. Our legal system is built this way. But by and large as well, many of our spiritual thinkings, our spiritual thinking, much of our spiritual thinking, many of the world religions are based on this idea as well. That there is a standard of goodness and kindness. And when the standard is broken, something needs to be done to fix it. And in most places in the world, in most uh, belief systems, in most thought systems, it is on the individual who has done the wrong to make it right. So if I'm going to appease the gods who I have offended, I need to do something to right the wrong. I need to fix it. God had, a, God had a standard or the gods had a standard. I violated the standard. It is on me to make it right. Much like the way our legal system works, I have to figure out what it is. And it depends on the system, right? I bring sacrifices. I bring offering. I bring, I bring something to the gods to, to make them feel better so that, so that our relationship is restored or that they don't take out their anger on me. I start doing good things, so I do enough good things to outweigh the bad things. And even when we come to the God of the Bible, many of us think that this is the way he works. We think this is how the God of the Bible works, that he set a standard, that we violated it. He says to, to walk justly and love, love, be, love kindness and do, and, sorry, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. We violate that in some way. And so now it's on us to make it right. In fact, in many ways, we think God operates like jolly old Saint Nick, don't we? We think that God is in heaven and he is watching everything that we do throughout the year. And he's making a list and he's checking it twice and that God's going to figure out who's naughty or nice. And at the end, God's going to give good gifts to those who are on the nice list. And he's going to give bad things to those who are on the naughty list. For many of us, when we think about God and we think about the Bible and we think about church, our perception of who God is and how he operates and how Santa Claus operates really aren't that different. You do good, you get good things. You do bad, you get bad things. It's not really any different than fate or karma or any of those systems. Micah steps into this place. And he says to the people, we've got a problem here. God has told us to do something. We haven't done it. You and I are in the exact same situation. God tells us how to live somewhere along the way. We haven't done it. Because of the way our thought process works, because of the way our legal system works, if we were to fill in the blank over here, we would certainly expect the prophet to stand up and say, God set the standard. You violated it. It's up to you to fix it. It's up to you to do something to make this right. You better start doing a bunch of good things. You better start bringing more sacrifices. You better do something to fix this situation because God had a, a standard. You violated it. Now, what are you going to do to make it right? But when we look at what Micah says, he doesn't say anything like that at all. And 
And many of us think this is how God works. Have you ever heard somebody say, listen, I'd walk into church with you, but if I walked in, the roof would probably cave in, right? We've heard people say that. That's actually why they had to put these bars up is because somebody, <laughs> no, it's, we've heard people say things like that. That's because we think this is how God operates. And we know God has a standard. We haven't lived up to it. And so if we don't start doing something, he's going to get us. That's how we think about God. But Micah steps into this place and he says something that is so radically different. In fact, if you're someone in the room today or you know somebody who believes that all religions and spiritual beliefs are the same, I want to tell you that what Micah is about to say about the God of the Bible radically separates Christianity and biblical thought from any other belief system that's out there. The idea that would say that all religions are the same is, is I would suggest to you, an, an ignorant mindset that doesn't understand what Micah is about to tell us. Because if you understand and grasp what Micah is about to say, it radically separates biblical thought and Christianity from every other belief system out of there, out there. It separates it from our legal system. It separates for how we deal with injustice as a culture. It separates Christianity out from all the other world religions. This one piece that Micah gives us. You see, Micah comes to the people and he doesn't start talking about reparations. He doesn't start talking about making amends. He talks about something different. He talks about God bringing restoration. And you say, oh yeah, God's going to bring the people out of the exile, but Micah's not just talking about the exile. Yes, the people are going to go into exile under the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and they're going to come out of exile. And we may say, oh, that's what Micah is talking about. He's going to bring God's people out of exile. But Micah makes it clear he's talking about something much bigger. Micah says God is going to bring restoration. And if you were to read Micah chapter 4, Micah says it's going to affect many nations, not just Israel, not just Judah, not just the nation together. Together, but many nations, and he says it's going to last forever and ever. And then in Micah chapter 5, in verse 2, Micah lets us know what God's plan is to restore this place. God had a standard, it's been violated. but he doesn't put it on us to make reparations. He does something much different in bringing about restoration. And in Micah chapter five, verse two, this is what we read. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. 
Micah says to the people, God's not going to put it on you to make amends and restoration. God is going, reparations, God is going to bring about restoration. And here's how he's going to do it. And Micah begins to talk about something that isn't going to happen for 700 years. Something that's not going to happen for seven centuries. Micah begins to say one day in the town of Bethlehem, a town that most don't even think about, a woman is going to give birth and that child is going to stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord to the ends of the earth. And rather than God requiring you to provide reparations, God is going to provide restoration through his son, Jesus Christ. And rather than us have to work it off, and figure out how we're going to do enough good things in order to pay for all the bad things, God grants us the opportunity to be restored by putting our trust in his son. It's radically different than any other system out there. It's part of the reason why I'm convinced it's true. Because honestly, I know there's not enough right things and good things I can do to make up for all the ways that I violated God's law. And the reality that God has sent his son to do it for me, that I might be fully restored and then go out to live this life of justice and kindness and humility, not in order to gain God's favor, but because it's already been given to me as a great gift of grace and mercy is something that is overwhelmingly comforting to my soul. And it's different than any other belief system out there, different than any other way of thinking. This radically separates the Bible and Christianity from any other belief system out there. The fact that God doesn't say, bring me a sacrifice, God says, I will send you a sacrifice. And you follow him. At the beginning of the sermon, I said to you that the question is Micah and the answer is no one. Micah's name is a shortened version of the Hebrew word Micaiah. And if you were to break that word apart, you would see that the beginning syllable, my, is the Hebrew, taken from the Hebrew word for who. Ka is taken from the Hebrew word for like. And ayah is a shortened verb, a shortened form of the word Yahweh or the Lord. So in Micah's name is this question Who is like? The Lord? And the answer is no one. Micah ends his book this way in Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression? No other God is like that. So gracious, so merciful, so forgiving, so loving. I'm going to invite our worship team forward as we close this morning. And I'm going to invite you, if you would, just to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. 
And think about this with me. Maybe as we close this morning, you're sitting here and this has been a good reminder of the God that you serve and the God that you love, the God that does not hold your sin against you, but invites you to experience complete restoration through his son. And trusting him and following him, the shepherd who came and stood in the strength of the Lord and guided his flock to the ends of the earth, that you have followed Jesus with your life. And so this morning is a great morning of comfort. I'd invite you in these next few moments, if that's you, just to spend some time thanking God for who he is and what he's done. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and the opposite is happening in your heart. You're saying, okay, I understand that God has a, a standard. I understand I violated that standard, but I've always thought it was up to me to make it right. And I'm nervous now because I don't know if there's enough that I can do to fix what has been done. I don't know if I can do anything under my own strength to, break, to fix what has been broken. I'll tell you this morning, there really is nothing you can do. But God, knowing that, sent his son to live on this earth, to pay the price for your sin and mine, to die on the cross and to be raised again. And if you would put your trust in him and follow him with your life, you would experience a restoration unlike anything you thought was possible. So God, this morning we thank you for who you are, the God who restores us, the God who redeems us. Lord, we come to you this morning and we are sorry for the many ways that we have violated your standard, the many ways we have fallen short, but God, thank you that you haven't put it on us to make amends, but you have provided a way for restoration. And for those who are here this morning, God, who are calling out to you for the first time, I thank you that you hear their voice. God, I pray that today would be a day that they would experience what it means to be restored as they follow you through your son. And God, thank you for the reminder today that there is no one like you. There is none other beside you. You are the God who is all powerful and mighty and strong enough to save. We give you glory. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont Campus. At Mount Hope, we gather each week to learn more about God, grow in our love of God and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts area, we'd love to have you join us. We meet Sunday mornings in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and Sunday mornings in Belmont at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us our website, www.mounthope.org.